just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Thursday. Plenty of stuff to talk about. Now, if you were listening yesterday, you heard two podcasts. The first one is a normal podcast with just me. Yes, it was late, but I explained it, so we should be good there. The second podcast was one of my uh, favorite types of podcasts, and that's a podcast where we have listeners as a co-host. Now, in that Last podcast, we had two listeners as co-hosts, a married couple named Jen and Ted. Now, they'd been on the show before. They've written emails. They've participated a lot in the Rational Boomer podcast, and I want to thank them for doing that. They did a show with me, which is already up and posted and ready to listen to if you haven't already. Uh, They gave some interesting insights. Jen is a nurse. Ted is a member of the clergy. So they had all kinds of insights regarding COVID, monkeypox, overturning Roe v. Wade, separation of church and state. It was a very interesting conversation. Always is with those folks. So as I say, if you haven't checked it out, do so. But we've got more and more podcasts coming your way. There's always new content. So you'll always have something fresh to listen to. And in fact, I'm going to do a show with Ed later today, I think. And uh, that'll either air today or tomorrow or whenever. But uh, the shows with Ed, always a great time. I worked with him for many years on the radio, so we have a good rapport. We know how one another talks and how we fit this all together. So it's always a fun show to do. Now, all that said... We're headed through the late stages of a week that has had a lot of crazy shit going on, as seems to be always the case. Uh, There's a lot of investigations, a lot of litigation going on. Now, as I was walking around yesterday, it was an absolute beautiful day in Minnesota. It wasn't too hot. Well, maybe a little too hot at times, but it was nice. It was sunny. I got the chance to go out in the boat for a short time. Now, I didn't get out there for a long time. All I was doing is moving the boat to a closer dock so my wife and her friends could go out while I stayed here. So I was in there for about maybe 10 minutes, long enough to do a TikTok. Let's talk about TikTok real briefly. In the one of the last podcasts, I talked about the problem I was having having. Now, I'm a guy that blocks most Trump humpers because I know they're dangerous and they are a threat to your account. So I just get rid of them. I don't listen to them. But the other day, not yesterday, the day before, um, I got two of my videos taken down, presumably by Trump humpers. Now, this happens a lot, and uh, I always submit an appeal. It always gets put back. But this was a different situation, as I mentioned. I got the two. I submitted appeals for both. But then TikTok comes to me and said, hey, you're getting too many of these complaints. If it happens again, something could happen. (laughs) Could happen? (laughs) Sounds like a mob threat. But uh, uh, what was weird is I went on TikTok and bitched about it. I went on the podcast here and 
bitched about it. I ran the TikToks on Instagram and Facebook. So my attitude about this was was uh, pretty solid. I mean, I've had a lot, I had had several videos taken down, but each one of them have been reinstated. So the claim of foul was incorrect. There was no justification for taking down the videos. But in spite of that, because there are those complaints, still TikTok wanted to hold me responsible. So I bitched about it. I put it out there. And guess what? Both videos were reinstated. Not a surprise. But that little warning that was on my site went away too. I don't know if that means that I'm really not under threat or that they're just saying, we told you, watch yourself. Here's the thing. I do the TikToks the way I do the podcast. Whatever I'm talking about, I say exactly what I mean, exactly what I think. I'm not going to couch it just because somebody tells me to. I've told you that before. You know, that's one of the reasons why I like doing the podcast and not working in radio, because I don't need some fuckhead with a suit standing behind me telling me what I can and can't say. If that's the case, I'm just not doing it. And the same would be said for TikTok. I enjoy doing the TikToks. I feel obligated to do the TikToks because I've got so many followers there. They made a commitment to me. I have to make the commitment to them. So I've got to keep supplying the uh, content on TikTok. And I will as long as they allow me to do it. But, you know, again, as I've told you before, TikTok is a means to an end. The TikTok is to gather an audience to ultimately get them here to the podcast And guess what? It's working. Our audience is growing every day. I'm really uh, proud and excited about how things are going with the podcast. And I'm looking forward to go even further over time. It doesn't have to grow fast. It just has to grow consistently. And that's what it's doing. And that's thanks to to you folks, because you're the ones that make it worthwhile to even sit down and do uh, a podcast. Now, as I said, beautiful day yesterday. I was having a great day yesterday in spite of my problems with TikTok. But you know who had a really shitty day yesterday? I mean, maybe the worst day in his life? (laughs) That fucking idiot Alex Jones. He's in court. Now, the reason he's in court is because he's already found guilty of defamation of character to the Sandy Hook parents. Now they're on trial to decide how much he's going to have to pay them. It could be as much as $150 million. But Alex Jones is his worst enemy in this court case. He's constantly doing things to fuck himself up, and the judge does not like him. She's had to put him in his place any numbers of times. But but here's the thing with with, with Alex Jones and all these people like him. They just don't know when to stop. I mean, they're cornered, they're caught cold, and they still want to lie and bullshit their way out of it. They think they can bully their way out of it or lie their way out of it. And frankly, the judge here is just not having it. And uh, it was an interesting day yesterday. Conspiracy theorist Alex Jones had his own damning text messages read back to him during testimony Wednesday in a trial that will determine how much money he will have to pay uh, to Sandy Hook parents he smeared for years. I mean, you've got to understand, he kept going and kept going and saying this was fake, this was um, 
fabricated. This wasn't true. These were crisis actors. But over and above the pain that the parents suffered for that, because he has all these rabid supporters, these Trumplefucks, these people, in addition to losing their kids, in addition to having Alex Jones lie about them, now we're getting death threats from these Trumplefucks. They were put through a lot. If anybody deserves money, it's these folks. They've gone through more than any of us would care to go through. Now, during a cross-examination of Jones in an Austin, Texas courtroom, attorney Mark Bankston accused the InfoWars host of lying to the court when he claimed in a deposition he had turned over all Sandy Hook-related documents and text messages as part of discovery in the defamation case. Jones didn't count on one thing. Apparently, his own attorney delivering the goods to the plaintiffs on a silver fucking platter. Bankston said, Did you know 12 days ago your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent over the past two years? Bankston asked Jones that on the stand, and when informed the Defense lawyers did not take any steps to identify those texts as privilege. So now here's what happens. He accidentally sent it to him. And I'm not so sure that they accidentally sent them because the lawyers and um, and uh, Alex Jones had said those texts don't exist. Suddenly they appear. Maybe the lawyers got a, a moment of conscience or, or fear thinking that, They might get nailed for holding back evidence. Uh, But nonetheless, the prosecution got it. And uh, all of it's pretty damning. And all of these texts prove that Alex Jones is lying on the stand. And when pressed, Alex was starting to lose his shit. He was sweating. His face was getting red. He was babbling like a drunk child. You couldn't understand what he was saying because, I mean, he was a professional speaker. This is what he does for a living. But he was really in trouble here, and he knew he was in trouble, and he was clearly pissed. Now, when those texts reached the prosecution, theoretically, his lawyers could say, whoops, that's our mistake, that's privileged stuff, you can't use that. And they would probably have to send them back. But... But Alex Jones's lawyers did not do that. What? Well, why wouldn't you do that? What the fuck? So Bankston went on and said to Alex Jones, that is how I know you lied to me. Bankston revealed to the court, along with Jones and his attorney, Andino Reynal, that Jones had a text from 2020 mentioning the 2012 school shooting that left 20 children and six adults dead. The conversation was between InfoWars editor Paul Joseph Watson and Jones. Watson, who had previously warned Jones about spreading the lie that no one died in the Sandy Hook shooting, texted Jones to warn him against pushing another lie, that the coronavirus pandemic sweeping the world in 2020 was a fake. This seems to be uh, a common symptom of uh, 
Alex Jones neurosis. neurosis. Watson sent Jones an April 2020 InfoWars story with the headline, Staged Video Shows Hospital Using Dummies in ER for Coronavirus Footage. (laughs) Fucking unbelievable. This is a video of a medical student training to intubate Watson said in his text to Jones, this makes us look ridiculous suggesting COVID is fake. Sandy Hook all over again, Jones replied. I get it. The cell cell phone revelation led to a tense exchange in court. At first, Jones protested that he had merely passed off the phone to his lawyer. But Bankston persisted. You said in your deposition, you searched your phone. You said you pulled down the text, did the search function for Sandy Hook. That's what you said, Mr. Jones, correct. Jones tried to deflect by saying he had several different phones with this number. The exchange continued. Bankston says, in discovery, you were asked, do you have Sandy Hook text messages on your phone? And you said no, correct? You said that under oath, Mr. Jones, didn't you? And, of course, Jones can't answer directly. He tries to bullshit around a little bit. He says, if I was mistaken, I was mistaken. You've got the text messages right here. You know what perjury is, right, Mr. Bankston said? Bankston also brought up emails Jones had sent to his staff discussing business operations after Jones had testified in deposition that he didn't use emails, so couldn't produce any in discovery. Another text revealed Wednesday further undermined Jones' claim that InfoWars is too broke to pay damages. In the messages retrieved from Jones' phone, an employee at InfoWars told Jones that they made 70000 k gross profit on one particularly successful day of sales. Bankston added that some days InfoWars made as much as $800,000. So, they're hardly broke. Jones grumbled about the revelation, saying this is ridiculous, before claiming Bankston was cherry-picking his profitable days. During a short recess, Jones' attorney, Raynell, asked Bankston just how much material he'd gotten off his client's phone. Bankston said it was a significant amount. Now, this, this lawyer fucked up big time. Big time. And he's nervous, but he ain't half as nervous as what Alex Jones is. Because you see, it's bigger than this civil court case. There's more to it than that. They've got every text he sent for two years. Now, Mr. Bankston said there might be some things on here that law enforcement may want to look at. So, as much as this is a civil case, There might be some criminal ramifications on that phone as well. This civil case may be the least of his problems. And even beyond that, remember this. Alex Jones was part of the insurrection. He was going to lead the crowd to the Capitol that day on January 6th. He no doubt had conversations with, oh, I don't know, Mark Minnows, Jenny Thomas, any number of people. So as much as he might be end up broke because he gets uh, 
$150 million taken away from him. And I know he's talking about bankruptcy and all those things. But this civil case is the least of his problems because the January 6th committee has already asked for those text messages. And you know what? They're going to give them to him. So the January 6th committee will have this tranche of texts exposing another side to January 6th and how he was involved. And if January 6th gets a hold of them, don't be surprised if the DOJ wants to look at them too. So Mr. Alex Jones could rant and puff out his chest all he wants, but he is currently and most assuredly fucked. He's not getting out of this one. And you could see it when he was sitting on the stand. He was very flustered. He didn't know what he was doing. I mean, here's a guy that's always in control. He's the big shot. He's the tough guy. Not that day. Not that day. The trial, as I say, concerns the exact amount of damages Jones is liable for over defaming the parents of Sandy Hook's massacre victims whose children he claimed were crisis actors staged by the government. He was found liable for the underlying defamation last year, but uh, Ari Melber on MSNBC suggested this evidence could open the door to far more serious consequences, as I was just talking about. The judge has repeatedly tried to take control there where he has gone off the rails, which he has done frequently. He was playing a clip of Jones reacting to the news that the opposing lawyer had all of the communications from his cell phone. Jones stammered, pushing back, obviously caught. Melber says, this is as serious as a heart attack. That warning of perjury is real. The prosecuting attorney, when he couldn't get a straight answer, says, Mr. Jones, you understand what perjury is, don't you? Jones is being sued for defamation, and now he's been caught lying on the stand multiple times and hasn't even reached the punishment phase of how much he would have to pay. It could get worse. The cell phone data being discussed here is now all in the hands of the other side. Jones is doing the usual deflection, but it's not working. He has tried to say uh, all of this is a... uh, misunderstanding, of course, or just entertainment. And he has used his platform to repeatedly and willfully and intentionally buy and hurt people. And he knows that what he lied about, what he claimed was some sort of false flag hoax, he also knew it was real. He then played a clip of Jones. Jones says it's 100% real, and the media still ran with the lies that I was saying it wasn't real. Great, it's incredible, said Jones in the clip. They won't let me take it back, or they just want me to keep me in the position of being the Sandy Hook guy. I really do want to try to change things and hopefully be more positive force when it comes to the issues. This is what the start of accountability might look like, Ari Melber said. This is truly wild. So you see what he's doing. He said for years and years and years that it was all fake. And then he got caught up and he was trying to say, well, it wasn't a fake, but he would never came out directly with it. And now when they have proof of it and they've got his feet to the fire, he has to say, no, Sandy Hook was 100% true. I was wrong. 
But here's the problem. Every time Alex Jones gets out of court and he starts talking on his television show or on radio or whatever he's on, he starts the same bullshit. He starts the same lies. It's like this fucking idiot cannot learn. He hasn't learned a goddamn thing. You know, he's talking shit about the blue-collar jurors. He's talking about the corrupt judge. You know, when he's sitting in the court and you see that video, he's very sheepish and uh, very disjointed and concerned and nervous. His face is turning red. But as soon as he steps outside, goes on the airwaves, he's this tough guy and he knows exactly how to handle them. Don't worry, I will straighten them out. Well, Alex, here's the deal. You're in court. You have a real judge. You have a real case. You've committed perjury. Your text messages have been inadvertently released to the prosecution. And the prosecution is going to help them win their civil case, of course. But that's the least of your problems, as I said earlier. These text messages are going to end up in the hands of the J6 committee and the DOJ. If you have any other criminal activity in those text messages, it's going to be exposed. And the biggest fear should be January 6th because we know you were involved. We know you were communicating with people. We know that you were even um, suggested to have uh, led the march to the U.S. Capitol. I'm going to tell you right now, Mr. Alex Jones is in some fucking deep trouble, and he buried himself that day. I mean— He's one of these guys, he's a narcissist, so he wants to control everything. But yesterday, everything got out out of his control. He lost complete control. And this is the kind of thing that's going to drive a fucker like him nuts. He is going to hate this. It's going to be a problem for him. And what that means is he'll probably react in an unhinged way, much like Donald Trump is starting to do. This is what narcissist and these kind of people do. They've spent their whole life gaslighting or bullying people and getting away with it. So they don't even know what it's like to be stopped or to be cornered or to be shut down. They have no clue what that's even like. And now it's going to happen to both Donald Trump and Alex Jones, among some others. But they're going to be pushed in a corner. And their regular strategies are not going to work. And they are not going to know what the fuck to do with that. Generally, when that happens, they start getting crazy. They start getting unhinged. Sometimes they even get violent. I don't think that will be the case with Alex Jones or Donald Trump because they're too old and too feeble and too stupid to even do that. These people are cowards by nature. So more than likely, what they would try to do is run. Now, the problem is, is when you're up to your neck with the law, it's a little hard to run because they've got a pretty close eye on you and they've got your uh, uh, you within a grasp so they can haul you in when they need you. Now, when Donald Trump watches this court case, he's got to be getting a little nervous, too, because he's seeing the future. He's seeing what's next for him. Alex Jones is this powerful speaker that's been on television. Everybody that follows these shows thinks what he says is honest. Donald Trump is watching Alex Jones being uh, dismantled 
by the um, by the prosecuting attorneys, and he's not getting out of this. And maybe for once there's a real realization for Donald Trump that there's a chance he may not get out of it. I mean, these people think they're going to get out of everything every time. That's what they believe. So when they're confronted with the real possibility that they're caught and there's nothing they can do, they lose their shit. And what Donald Trump's got to be concerned about, he knows that Alex Jones was part of the January 6th thing. And it's going to be interesting to see what's in those text messages and how it um, worked with the White House the Oval Office, the administration, Mark Meadows, because you know it's in there. Ginny Jones has to be pretty nervous, too, because I have a feeling she has some conversations with Alex Jones, too. See, Alex Jones was a very vital part of January 6th. He has a big audience, at least a big audience of those type of people. So they used him as a promotion platform. Whatever Donald Trump couldn't say or shouldn't say, Alex Jones could say it. And all those dipshits were watching Alex Jones. So he is very culpable in the January 6th thing. And now that they have all his text messages, it's going to be impossible for him to divert, distract, deflect, bullshit, gaslight, or bully. He won't be able to do that. And that moment when the uh, prosecuting attorney told him, did you know I have all your text messages for two years? That's when you could see Alex Jones' face just fall because he knew he was fucked. There was no way out of this. So, <laughs> Alex Jones, Mr. Tough Guy, he is going to go down in flames. He will be a pariah and he will be destroyed for life. Whether he ends up in jail, I don't know. But he won't be able to continue doing the shit he's doing now. And he won't be making anywhere near the money he's making now. All right, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we will be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. You remember when White House counsel Pat Cipollone was subpoenaed and testified in front of the J6 committee. They did a lot of negotiations ahead of time talking about privilege and all this other stuff. And he did ultimately testify. And it was pretty damning information that he provided. There were some things he wouldn't talk about. And the J6 committee agreed to it as long as he testified. Well, Mr. Cipollini has another bigger problem because he got another subpoena, not from the J6 committee, but from the DOJ. And when you get a subpoena from the DOJ, it's vastly different from what the January 6th committee can do. There's no fucking around with the DOJ. There's no negotiating special deals. He might talk about executive privilege, but there isn't any more executive privilege. And more importantly, if there was executive privilege, if it's privilege with regards to something in the commissions of a crime, then there is no more privilege. Now, 
the J6 committee could have pressed those kinds of issues, but they had no teeth. They really had no way to punish anybody from doing it. So Cipollone is now going to the DOJ, and he might try to pull some of that other shit. Uh, But it's not going to work because the DOJ knows how to handle this and they can take care of it quick, fast and in a hurry. You fuck around and you do that stuff. Then you're in front of a judge and the judge makes a decision and it's not likely to go his way. So Pat Cipollone has got to be nervous at this point going in to talk to the DOJ. But Donald Trump has to be pretty fucking nervous, too. You can't get much closer than the White House counsel when it comes to a president. And this this guy is going to have to give out some information that's going to be very damning. He already did, but it's going to get worse. And it's have, going to have a more direct effect when he's talking to the DOJ. Now, on Wednesday's edition of MSNBC's The Beat, former Watergate prosecutor Nick Ackerman laid out the significance of former Trump White House counsel Pat Cipollone being subpoenaed by the DOJ investigators to speak to a grand jury as part of their investigation into the plot to overthrow the 2020 presidential election. Ackerman said this development could pose a new and grave legal threat to the former president. I want us to be really clear about what's happening, said anchor Ari Melber. There is a thing, there is this thing, a bias in the human mind, and certainly in the news media, where you get tired of something. You say, I heard about Cipollone, so what? But from what I understand, the worst day ever in this whole thing is now, because this isn't the whole thing. This is the federal criminal probe for someone who says, enough with Pat. Can you explain that? He uh, Now, Ackerman goes on to say, I think that this is actually the worst day for Donald Trump because Pat Cipollone is going to be talking more before the grand jury, said Ackerman. The January 6th committee, they were concerned about getting him there, getting Pat in there, but they bent over backwards for him. They allowed him basically to claim executive privilege with any conversations he had with Donald Trump. They allowed him to claim attorney-client privilege. None of this is going to go anywhere with the feds. He's not going to be allowed to do that. He's going to claim privilege with individual questions. They will take him to court. And a judge who is going to order him to testify and tell him there is no privilege, he could appeal it to the circuit court, but all of this will go much quicker behind closed doors. Ackerman proceeded to explain other key differences between the DOJ investigation and the January 6th committee with Cipollone. So, like I said, it's very different for Cipollone to go to the DOJ as opposed to the January 6th committee, as close as he was to Donald Trump on January 5th and 6th. And as much as he was kind of pushing back against the things that Donald Trump was doing, this is going to be extremely damning for Donald Trump. He is not going to uh, he's not going to be liking this much. This is going to be coming closer and closer to putting Donald Trump in that corner and proving that he is in, complicit with the January 6th situation. So now Cipollone is going to go to the DOJ. He isn't going to be able to fuck around as much as he did with the J6 committee. 
And this is going to be stressful for him and extremely troubling for Donald Trump. So expect him to blow a gasket here sometime soon because this could be the end of it for him with regards to the January 6th committee. Short of Mark Meadows' testing, there's really nobody else closer to the situation that can give us the facts of what truly happened on that day. Now, you remember a while back, Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, invited Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump, and Don Jr. to testify in her civil court case against the Trump Organization. It amounts to the Trump Organization overinflating the values of their property for situations that would benefit them, and then under under uh, um, valuing their property to pay less taxes. That amounts to bank fraud, insurance fraud, tax fraud. Some pretty serious shit. And Letitia James says, I want to talk to all three of you. Well, of course, they tried to fight it, and that didn't work. So they were set to meet. They had a date. And then, of course, Ivana Trump dies, and they say, oh, we've got to mourn. Apparently, Donald Trump had to bury his ex-wife on his golf course. Well, Donald Trump has yet to testify. However, Don Jr. and Ivanka Trump did testify just yesterday, I think. Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump Jr. sat for depositions as part of the New York Attorney General's civil investigation into the Trump Organization finances. After months of fighting in court, people familiar with this told CNN and MSNBC and some other outlets. Ivanka Trump's behind-closed-doors deposition took place Wednesday, and Trump Jr. had his deposition last Thursday. The people said the Trumps were originally supposed to sit for questioning last month, but the death of their mother, Ivana, postponed their testimony. Trump Jr., who runs the Trump Organization with his brother Eric, did not assert the Fifth Amendment and answered the state's questions. One of the people said uh, it was not clear what he was asked or how he answered those questions. I think Don Jr. is getting a little nervous now. This playing games with the Fifth Amendment is just not going to play well at this point with an attorney general. Former President Donald Trump is expected to testify later this month. So at some point in August, Donald Trump will have to testify. And he will have to testify under oath. So this should be interesting. We see how much Alex Jones lies when he's under oath in a civil case. We'll see how much Donald Trump lies in a deposition leading up to a civil case. A lawyer for Trump Jr. and Ivanka Trump declined to comment, and representatives from the Trump Organization did not respond to requests for comment. The New York Attorney General's office declined to comment, too. Well, that's none of that is unusual. Nobody's going to say anything until final decisions come out. The depositions raised the legal stakes for the Trump family members as they faced two investigations— one civil and one criminal, into the accuracy of Trump Organization's financial statements. And they weren't accurate. They were in flux all the time. They changed. They were very fluid, and that's not how books are supposed to run. The former president and the Trump Organization have previously denied any wrongdoing. Of course they did. Called the civil investigation by the New York Attorney General Letitia James, a Democrat, politically motivated. 
Now you're a fucking criminal, Donnie, and they're going to find it out. In January, James said it found significant evidence indicating that Trump Organization used false or misleading asset valuations in its financial statements to obtain loans, insurance, and tax benefits. Trump Jr.'s decision to answer state questions breaks with that of Eric Trump and former Trump Organization Chief Financial Officer Alan Weisselberg, who both asserted their Fifth Amendment right when deposed in 2020. Now, in a civil case, the jury can draw an adverse inference and hold it against individuals who don't answer questions. You can't do that in a criminal case, but in a, in a civil case, you can. This is not the only calculus at play. There's been some discussions over the stigma of asserting the Fifth Amendment and how it would play politically. One of the people familiar with the matter said, by answering questions, Trump Jr. increases his possibility of legal exposure. He was involved in several properties, including 40 Wall Street, and certified the accuracy of the financial statements from 2017 forward. The Attorney General's office said, uh, now, Ivanka Trump was a key liaison with Deutsche Bank, which loaned the Trump organization more than $300 million, which is interesting. Where did that $300 million come from? Because no bank in their right mind would ever loan Donald Trump or the Trump organization money because they simply don't pay things back. And this is what I've always supposed. Deutsche Bank has um, been in a lot of trouble for laundering money. Money coming from Russia, oddly enough. So it's conceivable to think that Russia was providing the money that Deutsche Bank ultimately provided to Donald Trump. It, it only makes sense. The financial statements were prepared by accountants inside and outside of the Trump organization. Remember that big account agency that was handling Donald Trump's just bailed on him, said, we don't want anything more to do with you. We can't trust anything that you've told us. There's also a debate over how the properties were valued given the flexibility over appraisals. The valuations were signed off by Trump's longtime appraiser, Cushman and Wakefield, which is also under investigation. And those are the ones that bailed on Trump. The firm which broke ties with Trump, as I mentioned, after the January 6, 2021 situation, has denied any wrongdoing. Banks which supplied financing also didn't lose any money on the loans they underwrote. The New York Attorney General's investigation is an adv in an advanced stage. Lawyers with the office have said publicly that they expect to take some kind of enforcement action, but would engage in discussions with the Trump Organization before decisions were made. Investigators have interviewed numerous current and former Trump Organization executives and employees, including Donald Trump's former assistant, Rona Graff, and several executives in the finance and accounting departments. Now, James' office subpoenaed the Trumps last year. They moved to block the subpoenas in court, arguing that they shouldn't have to sit for depositions while there's a criminal investigation. The court rejected their arguments, saying a criminal investigation does not preclude civil investigation from obtaining evidence. The former president also held in contempt and fined $110,000 for failing to comply with the subpoena for documents. The judge lifted the contempt order in June. 
The criminal investigation led by Manhattan District Elvin Bragg has slowed but not stopped. There was some talk that he just bailed on it. Uh, his two prosecutors that were hired before he took office bailed because they thought Elvin Bragg wasn't doing anything. But it's interesting to note that that investigation has not completely stopped, as a lot of people think. And I think what's going on there is they don't want to fuck around and be the first one to indict Donald Trump. But they're seeing that maybe Georgia might be the first to indict him with uh, Fonnie Willis, the DA in Fulton County. Or whatever comes out in the Letitia James investigation, the civil suit may be so egregious that uh, the Manhattan District would look absolutely foolish for not proceeding and pursuing an investigation into Donald Trump himself. Earlier this year, Bragg would not authorize prosecutors to present evidence before a state grand jury after raising concerns about the strength of the case. Now, CNN has reported a special grand jury hearing evidence in the case expired in April, but a new one could be seated, and Bragg may be pressured enough to do that. Bragg told CNN in an interview in April, anytime you have a parallel civil criminal investigation, if there's testimony in the proceeding, obviously we will look at it. Yeah, he's going to get pressured. Letitia James is not going to listen to that shit, and she is going to expose everything. And once she exposes everything, Elvin Bragg is going to have some problems. He may not want to pursue um, investigating and ultimately indicting Donald Trump, but he may not have a fucking choice. Democrats displayed a newfound sense of optimism. It's funny with Democrats when it comes to elections and stuff, they're usually like um, like a whip puppy. They're not very strong. Um, they just take what they take, and this is why they lose a lot. But they have a newfound sense of optimism about the uh, election year political climate because Wednesday after voters in a traditionally conservative state of Kansas overwhelmingly backed a measure protecting abortion rights. Well, that's not what they were expecting. That was kind of a fuck you to the Supreme Court as well. At the White House, President Joe Biden hailed the vote in Kansas as the direct result of the outrage at the Supreme Court's decision in June to repeal a woman's constitutional right to obtain an abortion. See, this is what I don't understand. We know that at least 63% of the people in this country support Roe v. Wade. Many of them have to be Republicans. But somehow the Supreme Court, the state of Texas, Florida, and all these other places, Ohio— think that they can go against what the majority of the public wants and they think they can shove it down their throat and that it will work for them and it will help them win elections. But it won't. It can't. And anybody with a sensible, reasonable mind could decipher that. Republicans in the high court don't have a clue about the power of American women, Biden said. Last night in Kansas, they found out. On Capitol Hill, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, a Democrat from New York, boasted of the political winds blowing at Democrats. Last night 
In uh, the American heartland, the people of Kansas sent an unmistakable message to the Republican extremist. He said if it's going to happen in Kansas, it's going to happen in a whole lot of states. With three months until the November election, the optimism might be premature, but it represents a much-needed break for a party who spent the better part of the past year reeling from crisis to crisis, including the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan and rising prices of for gasoline and other goods. Now, I have a problem with the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. That was always going to be a shit show, and that's why Donald Trump and Obama and Bush never decided to pull out. They knew it would make them look bad, but it had to be done, and Joe Biden did it, and he took the hits. But to say it's botched, that's ridiculous. And I think he redeemed himself when he just killed the the, the, the leader of al-Qaeda, uh, Osama bin Laden's former second-hand man, and who was also part of 9-11. I think he redeemed himself in those situations. Now, all these things with inflation and gas prices, none of which are Biden's fault, have contributed to Bo's, uh, Biden's low approval rating, leaving Democrats without a unifying leader in a position to rally voters before the election with control of Congress at state. Now, the Senate on Wednesday voted overwhelmingly uh, to ratify Sweden and Finland's ascension to, the, to NATO. Now, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but there's a lot of things going on. They they passed the chip bill, which is going to be helpful um, with with China holding these chips over our heads and, and, and coercing us and essentially controlling us. They got that passed. They got the veterans bill finally passed after the Republicans fucked that up and made themselves look good. They're going to get this other um, mini build back better bill passed. So all of a sudden, Joe Biden started to look good. And as more information comes out about the Republicans and as Joe keeps winning, his polls are going to look much better. But I don't know that it matters. I don't know that it matters because there's so much other bad shit against the Republicans. It's going to be hard for people to decide to vote for them and side with that kind of bullshit that they've been involved with, the corruption and and the criminality. Now, as I said, the Senate on Wednesday voted overwhelmingly to approve of resolution ratifying Sweden and Finland's ascension to NATO, sending another single signal that Congress remains unified in opposing Russian aggression toward Ukraine and Europe. I mean, all these Trump fucks, they love Russia for some reason. All these years, Republicans hated Russia, the evil empire. But now, all of a sudden, these Trump fucks love him. But the Senate vote voted 95 to 1 to approve the resolution, with every member of the Democratic caucus and most Republicans voting in support. It ratifies protocols of, asc- uh, of uh, ascension to NATO allies, signed on July 5th. Now, he suggested that Republican colleagues who voted against expanding NATO made a mistake, arguing that standing up to Russian aggression will send a strong message to Chinese leaders. And they're right. They're absolutely right. 
Nancy Pelosi going to Taiwan. That shows China. You, you don't get to tell us what to fucking do. America is a strong country, too. You may act like we don't want to fuck with you, but you definitely do not want to fuck with us. So this is going to make Putin lose his shit. You know, he made all kinds of threats about uh, these countries joining NATO. But much like they did with Nancy Pelosi and saying, don't come to Taiwan, and she did anyway. Same thing is said for Putin with Sweden and Finland. You better not join NATO or you're going to have a problem. Well, they are going to be in NATO and you have a problem because as much as you want to threaten them, now you got all of NATO you're going to have to come up against and you don't have a fucking prayer under those circumstances. Even closer cooperation with these partners will help us counter Russia and China. Their accession will make NATO stronger and America more secure. If any senator is looking for a defensible excuse to vote no, I wish them good luck. This is a slam dunk for national security that deserves unanimous bipartisan support. But there is one person who voted against it. You know who that was? That was Mr. Josh Hawley the Russian sympathizer himself. This is not going to play well for him. His people aren't going to like that he did that. The Senate resolution supports Finland's and Sweden's decision to join NATO and calls on all NATO members to move quickly to complete the ratification process. The U.S. would be the 20th of 30 NATO countries to ratify the two nations' entries. Lawmakers say the Senate vote is the latest example of how Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine has strengthened the resolve of NATO members. They say that Putin wrongly thought he would divide the Western allies and NATO. But in fact, what he's doing is he's making NATO stronger. Enlarging NATO is exactly the opposite of what Putin envisioned when he ordered his tanks to invade Ukraine. Indeed, he may have been trying to test the resolve of the alliance, and I'm pleased that we have passed that test with overwhelming unity of vision and purpose, said Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Mendez. The House voted uh, 394 to 18 last month for a NATO resolution to express support for Finland and Sweden joining NATO. The 18 no votes, of course, were all Republicans, Russian sympathizers. President Biden released a statement Wednesday evening thanking Senate leaders on both sides of the aisle for passing the measure and said he looks forward to signing off on that accession. Now, here's a uh, quote. As I told Prime Minister, Swedish Prime Minister Eva Magdalena Andersson and Finnish President Sali Ninistu, when I hosted them at the White House, this is coming from Biden in May, the United States remains committed to the security of Sweden and Finland, Biden said. We will continue working to remain vigilant against any threats to our shared security and to deter and confront aggression or threat of aggression. Now, Finland shares about an 800-mile border with Russia. 
Sweden doesn't share a border with Russia, but shares a strategic interest with Russia in the Baltic Sea, which gives Russia naval fleet access to the Atlantic. Russia in June threatened to deploy nuclear weapons along its northwestern border if Finland and Sweden join NATO. Has he done that? No. And you know what? He's not going to fucking do that. There is just no way that's going to happen. These are bullies. These are people that make threats, uh, hoping that people will fold up and die. And now what we're finding with everybody from Donald Trump down to Alex Jones to Vladimir Putin, these bullies are getting pushback and they don't know what to fucking do with it. All right, the last uh, story I'm going to talk about, I bring this up because this is this guy is such a whiny bitch. He's just such a whiny bitch. The Justice Department is now suing Peter Navarro. You remember him. Peter Navarro is the guy <coughs> that didn't comply with the subpoena and uh, was indicted and was picked up by the police and thrown in jail. And he was just unhinged that they would have the audacity to do that to him. It was unconstitutional. No, it wasn't, motherfucker. And you don't have a lawsuit suggesting as such. The Justice Department is suing Peter Navarro for emails from his time as former President Trump's trade advisor, alleging that he used at least one non-administration email account while working in the White House and was wrongfully retaining communications. Wow, that sounds familiar. Isn't that what they said that uh, Hillary Clinton was doing? They were pretty upset about that. I would think they wouldn't like this either. While serving in the White House, Mr. Navarro used at least one non-official email account, an account hosted by the non-official service ProtonMail, to send and receive messages cons- uh, constituting presidential records, uh, according to documents filed on Wednesday. Now, Mr. Navarro did not copy each email or message constituting presidential records that was sent or received on his non-official account or accounts to his official government email account. The Justice Department said in the filing that non-official electronic accounts used to carry out official duties are considered presidential records and therefore must be forwarded to official accounts within 20 days of sending them. The National Archives and Records Administration is also supposed to receive those communications before the president leaves office, which did not happen. The court filing alleges that Navarro did not respond to the archivist about those communications that had not been or had been improperly handled. It further alleged that Navarro refused to return any presidential records that he retained absent a granity of immunity for the act of returning such documents after lawyers at the Department of Justice reached out to him about the matter. Now, now here's the thing about Navarro. He's a trade advisor. He's kind of a nobody, but he stuck himself in the middle of the Stop the Steal campaign, even January 6th to a certain extent. He was asked to comply with the subpoena. He didn't. He got indicted. He got thrown in jail. And he's going to be sentenced sometime soon. And he's crying and whining about it. But much like Alex Jones and all these other people, Donald Trump, he continues to have this arrogant, 
overconfident attitude when they know they are losing. I mean, it's almost like an illness. If you know you're cornered and you know you're done, there's got to be a point where you say, okay, I give up. I'm just going to acknowledge what I did and I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of the court or the DOJ or whoever. But they don't do that. They keep spewing the bullshit as if they say it enough times that people will believe it. Well, nobody is fucking believing it. Nobody is ever going to believe it. And uh, they're going to go to jail for it. And <clears throat> Mr. Navarro, he's a pain in the ass. If you ever saw him on TV, you could see exactly what I'm talking about. He's this arrogant funk, fuck who's a nobody. And he just refuses to back down like all of them. And um, so he's now got this other problem amongst all the other problems he has. So it's really not going well for the Republicans at this point. At every turn, they're getting um, getting shit. They're eating shit is what they're doing. And this is all going to get worse and worse and worse as time goes on. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast for yet another day. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a wonderful day today, and we will talk to you again Later today with Ed or tomorrow. But we'll be talking again soon. Don't you worry. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.